This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Afternoon, partners. Mighty kind of you to stop by here at the old Abraham's Wallet Rancherito. We done heard that more than a few of y'all got a question or two when it comes to insuring the old Ponderosa. And today, we gonna poke around in the riverbed like a 49er at sunrise and hopefully pull out a few golden nuggets for all you cowpokes. So saddle up to the bar, pour yourself an ice-cold sarsaparilla, and perk your ears while we roll along to part two of our exploration on the topic of insurance. All right now, here we go. Was that okay, guys? I mean, I I wrote this article about insurance and life insurance, and, and we decided to call it How to Insure Your Life and Not Break the Ponderosa. And I just, sometimes I really want to talk like a, like a Texan. So there you go. That, that was you indulging me. But getting into this uh, arena that we've now broached on the subject of insurance leads to all sorts of good, chewy questions. And when we say chewy, we mean like Amish-style apple cinnamon oat bake, not chewy like overcooked lamb shanks. We want to address those questions as they deserve, slow and purposeful. Like a savory pot of pinto beans with onions and cilantro and, you know, I, I might need to go go eat before I record the rest of this. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, go and eat your food with gladness. So I'm going to skip it, but anyways, let's dig in. When it comes to uh, life insurance, you most likely fall into one of two camps. Either you're all jumbled up in your brain about coverage amount, policy types, term versus whole life, where you should title your policy, etc. Or you have no questions at all about life insurance and are just considering now that you might ought to purchase some. Didn't my employer say I get free life insurance at work? I'm sure that'll be enough. Okay, so my buddy Stephen was this way for a long time. If you know Stephen, he's a musician. He didn't know about this stuff, and honestly, he didn't really want to bother to learn about it because it was easier to just not think about it. We've talked about that before. If you want to hear more on just sticking your head in the sand when it comes to financial issues, go listen to our, um, our podcast on moving from ignorance to order to readiness. That was a great exploration of the topic. But I know that this stuff can feel technical and non-adventurous, and I'm actually going to try to tie life insurance in to the scripture. So let's go to one of the, the favorite books of the Bible here at Abraham's Wallet, and I'm sure for all of you, Haggai. Haggai 1, 5 through 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. So the principle here is that there are many financial, according to this passage, issues that are easily passed over. But a diligent man of God puts in the time and energy to master them. 
we see our job as helping you to those ends and doing a little inspiring on the way to make the arcane easier for you to lasso. So come on, cowboy. Let's consider a bit about life insurance. To begin with, I'm going to provide you a basic framework for how to decide on the key components of a decent life insurance plan for your family. Then we'll dive into some of the nitty-gritty details. If you're wondering why we're even bothering to talk about something so boring as insurance, then you must have missed our first installment, partner. So go back and listen to that one. It was last week, and then come back and finish up this podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore the topic by framing four big questions for you, okay? Question numero uno, who needs life insurance? Pretty easy answer. Anyone who has the need to provide for other people or entities in the event that they are unable to do so in the future, as they would have had they not up and died on us. Okay, most commonly this means that if you're a parent and or a spouse who's not yet banked sufficient dollars to cover the financial needs of your dependents, you should probably have some life insurance. If you're on the Abrahamic territory expanding journey of stewarding ever-increasing resources, then you won't always need life insurance. At some point, you're going to wake up and say, man, oh man, you know something? If I died right now, my wife and kids would just keep on growing this bundle of productive assets I've been working on accumulating, even while distributing funds to themselves to cover their expenses. An easy back-of-the-napkin way for you to figure out if you've got that kind of wealth stockade is to use the rule of 4% which many folks consider to be a safe withdrawal rate that will not usually threaten to burn down the principal amount of your savings. So, if the assets you're stewarding are stocks and bonds, your surviving family could take 4% of their total value annually without risking the principal amount. Granted, that's quite a bit of dough if a family can live on just 4% of it, which means most of us aren't there yet. Of course, if you're building wealth through other pursuits like investing in real estate, you may want to carry insurance while you've got mortgages on those properties. So, for example, if you're a jack-of-all-trades playing the role of landlord and property manager and handyman, your wife and kids might not be so keen on zooming over to the fourplex to fix a leaky faucet at 10 p.m. on a school night after you kick the bucket. So it's best, if you're planning on resourcing your surviving family, to subtract the income you're generating now and allow for a generous margin to be paid to other managers who could make these revenue streams painless for your survivors. Come on, guys, give them a break. They're trying to get over the loss of the world's greatest dad and husband. This is going to be a substantial grieving period, right? Yeah, uh, you're saying, but I don't even have kids yet, Marco, and my wife and I both earn about the same amount of money. Do I really need life insurance? Thanks for asking, Chad. You might not need life insurance yet, but there's still a couple of possibilities I want you to keep in mind before you just dismiss this out of hand. One common thing is that you're a small business owner with a little group of people. If you die and can no longer contribute your time and efforts to the business, will it be able to survive? Your partners may want to have a life insurance policy on you that would allow them to buy out your share of the business, presumably from whoever would inherit your assets, for a fair price rather than having an owner who wasn't able to participate in the daily operations of the business and potentially hamstring the whole thing. We could write pages on buy-sell agreements, but this is a case where even a childless single person might need life insurance. Secondly, you may have a reason to purchase insurance right now in anticipation of needing it later. 
So the older you get, the more expensive it becomes to insure your life. And this can be especially true if you run into unexpected health issues. So a 24-year-old healthy young couple thinking about starting a family in the next two years might be wise to consider locking in a 30-year term life insurance policy right now that will likely provide a base level of coverage for the duration of their family's need for insurance. My wife and I bought insurance policies before we had kiddos, while we were young and robust, and we will never see the types of rates again that we got back when we started those policies. We're glad that we locked it down when we did. So those are a couple of cases where, where you might need life insurance even if you're not quite in a spot today where you need it to provide for, say, children. Question number two, how much life insurance should I purchase? So my philosophy on this one is when it comes to insurance, it should live up to its name. We're ensuring that the needs of your family are covered in the event of your untimely demise, but we aren't setting up a lottery jackpot for your wife and kids. The people who are the final word on what policies you qualify for, they're called underwriters, they'll cap the amount of life insurance you can buy. They call this a moral hazard limitation because if your death is a cash wad bonanza waiting to happen for your wife, suddenly her, quote, accidentally forgetting to double check your harness before sending you down that rappel over Devil's Cliff during next summer's family vacation seems a little suspect. She promises to use her newfound millions on grief counseling, so there's that. But even with these moral hazard restrictions, you can still buy way more life insurance than you probably need. So think about your monthly budget. Just multiply that by 12, and then use the aforementioned 4% rule to figure out what size pile of cash would be necessary to support the family in your absence. Subtract from that any wealth that you've already accumulated. Just be sure it's accessible. Money in your wife's 401k is best left alone until she reaches retirement age, lest you be subject to early withdrawal penalties. And if you'd like to be safe, you can tack on a little extra for any debt that you've got or any unfunded goals you'd still like to fund in your absence. So college education for the kids would be a popular one in that category. Let's use a quick example so that you can be sure you're tracking with me here. Bob is a 35-year-old father of three who earns $95,000 annually and his family budgets around an after-tax income of about $6,500 per month. He is an Abrahamic stud who wants to shore up his family's provisions with life insurance. And so here's his calculus. His annual household expenses are $78,000. And the funds required to provide for those expenses, we just take $78,000 and divide it by 4%, we get $1.95 million. So with just these numbers, he's looking at about a $2 million life insurance policy. But wait, he needs more. He's got $225,000 left on his mortgage, and he wants to save up $100,000 for each of his three kids. So now we're brought to about $2.5 million all in that he needs for life insurance. Are you surprised at the size of that policy? If you haven't considered such things before, it may seem extravagant and really big, but I'm here to tell you it's not. If we head over to a site like policygenius.com and punch in some generic numbers for Bob, we find that he can get a $2.5 million term policy for 20 years for $79 a month. And I want to tell you that if a family with a $6,500 monthly budget cannot find room for an $80 monthly expense, they need to go back to our budgeting series and rework the budget because this is important. 
Rinse and repeat until you've got that budget whipped into shape and may have made room for an adequate life insurance policy. Okay, you're saying, when I look at those numbers and I think about what my family needs, I'm feeling a little sheepish about my two times annual salary group life insurance policy, which is clearly way too small. Yes, that's one of the things we do here at the Wallet Homie. We crank your proverbial neck around and make you look at the blind spots, and it's because we love you. Sometimes there's cyclists in those blind spots, or runaway tires coming at you, or even people who think you should invest in Bitcoin. But don't feel too bad. Many, many people hear that their employer provides a life insurance policy of some kind, and they just assume it's adequate. Rarely do employers cover more than a very low multiple of your annual salary, and that's usually far less than a young family builder requires in the first decades of their wealth-building efforts. Group life insurance plans, which is what employers offer, also have another hidden barb. They can be very disadvantageous if you leave your job. So even if you opted for extra coverage while you're at work, and you pay a little extra for it, these plans can involve increased rates that you'll need to cover if you separate from your employer. So should something change while you're using that group plan, you could then find it difficult to go purchase an insurance policy privately if you left the company. Now, generally, and there are always exceptions to all of these rules, guys, it makes the most sense to find yourself a cheap term life insurance policy from a good company and not mess around with employer-sponsored plans. Take what they give you for free, for sure, but consider that to be icing on your insurance cake, not really an integral part of your plan. Question number three, how long should my insurance policy last for? The answer is 20 years. What's the next question? No, that's just a little financial humor for you guys. Um, There you go. Of course, the length of term you select will depend on a whole bunch of factors. I know investment bankers who gained wealth really quickly, and they really only needed five or ten years of coverage before they had built up enough to provide for their families in their absence. Others are going to carry life insurance all the way until they begin collecting social security checks. It's possible that you're pursuing a non-traditional career path that could impact your insurance needs. So for example, let's say you're planning to work until you're 75, and you're going to throw a few mini retirements in before that age. In this case, you don't need to be as aggressive with your savings to meet your needs in retirement because you're going to work longer. But if you die earlier than planned, then your less aggressive savings means you don't necessarily have enough dough socked away to help your family make ends meet without you. That can be fixed by carrying life insurance for a larger part of your life than an average or really aggressive saver would. In the old days, us financial planners used to help folks create life insurance ladders made of multiple policies. So you'd buy a 30-year term policy for a million bucks, a 20-year term policy for a million bucks, and a 10-year term policy for a million bucks. And the result was this step-down coverage and cost over time. So you had $3 million of total insurance for the first 10 years, and only $1 million of coverage for the final 10 years of a 30-year period. Nowadays, I'll often connect my clients with a provider that's able to create a flexible laddered policy, allowing customers to do all this with one policy and just step down their coverage anytime they wish. Whether you go old school or new school here, the point is that you're not likely to need exactly the same amount of coverage from now until the day that you suddenly need zero coverage. Question number four. 
I've heard of life insurance coverage that lasts forever and eventually pays for itself. Should I be looking into that? So what you're talking about here is permanent life insurance or whole life, universal life. These are types of permanent insurance. And it's a great question. For now, I'll just tell you that while there are situations in which these products are the right tool for the job, we generally advise extreme caution when considering a purchase of permanent insurance. Why? Well, you're going to have to listen to a future podcast on whole life insurance for that answer. It's a very chewy subject, and I'm teasing you with upcoming podcast titles because I care about you. So there were three big insurance questions answered here, and one question asked and and not really answered, but given tempting bait for future listening. Looky there, you just considered your ways for a good five minutes or so. Well done, cowpoke. You honor the master when you do this. To sum up, we've tried to provide you with a really straightforward guide on deciding whether to purchase life insurance, how much insurance to purchase, and for how long you'll need insurance. For those of you in that aforementioned, I don't even know that I should be thinking about this stuff bucket, you may feel a little bit overwhelmed now. It's no problem. Just head over to one of the many online sources of cheap term life insurance and get started. For those in the I want many, many more details camp, you're going to have to wait until our next installment in which we compare term and whole life insurance, describe when permanent insurance is a good idea, and do our best not to insult your cousin Sal, who sells whole life insurance for a living. Until then, keep your spurs sharp, gentlemen ranchers. For Abraham's Wallet, I'm Mark Perry.